Thanks to today's sponsor, Cast AI. Cast AI is a Kubernetes cost monitoring and management platform that reduces cloud costs by over 60%. Cast AI likely has the fastest autoscaler on the market, and it's really good at scaling down due to Invictor. You can benefit from automated node selection and spot instances with fallback to on-demand. It's a top-notch Kubernetes automation platform with free cost monitoring and cost optimization modules. Optimize your first cluster for free by going to cast.ai slash Brett Fisher. Thanks, Cast AI, for supporting this show. This is DevOps and Docker Talk, and this episode is one I have been looking forward to for many months. Nermal and I welcome Solomon Hikes, the founder of Docker, on the show to tell us all about his new startup, Dagger. Hikes started Dagger after he left Docker in 2018 with a few other Docker VPs, including Sam Alba and Andrea Luzardi. And for a few years now, they've been publicly iterating on the idea of a programmable and portable automation system for software building, testing, and deploying. We cover so many topics around Docker and Dagger in this one, and Solomon and a few friends that are working at Dagger have convinced me that I need to start trying out Dagger in my projects. So please enjoy this episode with Solomon Hikes of Dagger. Hello, everyone. Welcome. Nermal and I are happy to have you here. Hey, hey, hey. How are you, Brett? How you doing, man? We're good. This is going to be a great episode. Hello, hello, hello. How's it going? Thanks for having me. Glad you showed up. We have Solomon Hikes here from Dagger. <laughs> We've all known about Solomon for a decade now, and we, I mean, you got two Docker captains here. So we, the name of this channel's got Doc, da, not da, Dagger yet, but Docker in it. That's going to happen all this hour, by the way. I'm going to keep saying Docker and Dagger, like it exists in my brain in the same place. Sorry about that. So yeah, all Ds, dot .cloud, Docker, Dagger, all your startups in your life will start with D. So it's a good... It's a good letter to start with. Why not? All right. Solomon. Yes. What have you been doing since 2018? I remember 2018 was a big year for me because we were a couple of years in the Docker captains. Docker was exciting. It was getting enterprisey, And you kind of stepped down from day to day. So give us a five-year recap. Oh, wow. Five years. Yeah. <laughs> Boom. It has been five years. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's funny because it's that means it's the end of a chapter because... Docker was 10 years for me, and it was a five-year chapter of crossing the desert. Hey, containers, containers, yeah, nobody cares. And then pivot to Docker, and then five years of insanity. Now everybody cares about containers. And then, like you said, I left, and then five years of post-Docker. So it's a nice, it's a nice reminder. So how, what have I been doing? Well, you know, 10 years is a long time. I was very tired, so I got some rest, and I almost fell into the trap of jumping right back into something. But luckily I had a loving family and a group of friends that prevented me from doing that. And the way they did that, they shipped me off to Maui, you know, Ooh. I've never been there. And I did something I've, I've, I had never done before and that may never do ever again. I stayed five weeks in the same place, you know, in a house facing the beach, you know, oh, wow. playing the and we didn't have kids yet, so it was really a vacation. It was really resting. And then, you know, then I had some babies, and I've been having fun raising them. I did a full-time dad thing for a while, and that was great. It really changed my perspective on 
priorities and time management mm. and a lot of that. Yeah. And and then, you know, I ran into Sam and Andrea, my my buddies from the early Docker days, you know, the very, very early, the very first employees, really, the core team. You know, we all moved from France to Silicon Valley to, to for dot cloud, which then later became Docker. That pivot we went through together. Then the craziness we went through together and they left around the same time I did. And, you know, they wanted to do something new. Actually, they had already started, but they wanted to change the idea. And so we were talking about new ideas and we got excited about working together first and the ideas second, you know, it was really about bringing the band back together and having a good time. And then we started Dagger. All right. And that, what was Dagger? When did you first like announce to the world something about Dagger? That was at least two years ago, right? Well, we launched a year and a half ago, just about. Okay. Yeah, March 2022. So yeah, we launched and we announced our Series A funding and then it was, you know, off to the races. A lot had had been happening before that. We were in sort of, a, you know, private access. We had a private community going for quite some time, actually over a year of just iterating, throwing stuff at the wall with this little group of DevOps nerds, you know, that didn't mind right. trying unfinished products. And what is now known as Dagger was, you know, iteration 62 or something. It was really a lot of prototyping. Yeah. And, and then it's even after launch, a lot has changed. You know, as you know, we changed quite a bit. We kept iterating. So, yeah. You don't seem to take small bets. <laughs> no. Yeah. Well, no, you know, that's true. The first time it was just kind of happened, it was more like we didn't know what we were doing and, and we just accidentally made a huge bet, you know? So it, was, it had more to do with the arrogance of youth. You just, you're obsessed with something. I mean, the containers were a real obsession of mine for a long time. You know? Sure, yeah. And then you just kind of stick to it because you're, what else are you going to do? You know, like no one cares what you're doing anyway. It's not like I have a big job to give up or anything. So you got all the time in the world to, you know, hack and take risks. So that's what we did. And we got lucky. This time it's different because people know us. We have this track record and it's a different set of problems. But, and it's really tempting. It's actually scary. It's scarier the second time to, to make a big bet. Right. I think. Why is it scarier the second time? And what are some of the things you've, what are some of the learnings you you're taking from Docker and, and bringing to Dagger? Today therapy with Nermal and Brett. How do you really feel? <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's kind of, it's the second album thing. You know, you, you get started, you, you do one album and you get lucky. It's, you know, triple platinum or whatever. And then everyone's waiting for the second album. And you're, you're in your house, you know, like paralyzed. Oh my God, because you care, you know, you just, you don't want to let people down. Right. You also, you, you know, okay, well, is it all downhill from here for the rest of my life? You know, will I be the Docker guy forever? And you just go through a lot of your own shit. Yeah. And also it's just comfortable. There's a lot of comfortable options available to you, you know, because you make money, you have connections, but the world is your oyster. And so comfort is right that within your reach, you know? Yeah. And, and so it's so easy and tempting to not put yourself out there because a big bet requires looking stupid and people telling you all day long, like, this is dumb as it, the dumbest thing I've ever heard, you know? <laughs> and so one thing I've learned is that when you do it the second time, people still tell you it's the dumbest thing they've ever heard. They tell you more nicely because they want to be your friends. Oh. But yeah, it's, it's just as hard the second time as well. So long story short, yeah, this, I did make a decision to make a big bet a second time because I have the luxury to do it. And I enjoy tinkering and trying new things more than I enjoy the, the what's the word I'm looking for? No, I'm, I'm looking for a specific, specific word. The respectability of mm. always projecting uh, 
you know, success and wisdom, no matter what. I'd rather just like throw, do 62 prototypes and 61 are dumb. And the, the last one is like interesting. And then we keep going. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So what is that? 60 second thing that you <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that you've tried. That's a great startup name. That's a great startup name, by the way. What the hell is it? <laughs> the 60 second thing? Yeah. 60 second try. Yeah, roughly. Well, yeah. So we, one thing we did realize is you know, we have the luxury of trying something big. And if we're comfortable taking the risk of failing, you know, we are in a unique position to, to try something slightly less incremental because we have easy access to capital and we can access the talent because we have a network now of people who are really good and really experienced and they know us, yeah. we know that and we respect each other. We didn't have any of that the first time, right? Like no one knew us, no one cared at all. So um, just building the talent pool just was very hard, took a long time. But this time it's easier. So we should put that to good use. We shouldn't take that unique situation and use it to do, you know, something 20%, 50% better, a slightly better version of something that's already out there. You should, you know, try something new. So what we're trying to do is fix the problem of application delivery, you know, like the, that whole mess, the pipelines, build, test, deploy, all of that mess, you know? So, and uh, it's kind of a continuation. We were discussing it with, right, you know, it's, it's a continuation of what we did with Docker. Yeah. The, Docker was the result of trying to solve a big problem and we didn't actually get all the way there. We didn't, accomplish everything we set out to accomplish. And Docker became sort of the necessary first step to solve the whole problem. And now we get to build on top of what Docker accomplished and, and keep going. So that's exciting. I was going to say, so in, like you, you just mentioned, Docker is kind of a component, right? That, that kind of taking what's in your dev environment on your laptop, making sure it's the same thing in production, try to ease that pain of shipping right and running your application yeah. your innovations your and increasing the velocity that development teams have in terms of trying new things right so just yeah. like yourself getting to that 60 second idea as fast as possible yeah. uh, out of that you kind of said that you didn't accomplish the full picture that that was the original kind of vision where does this new thing fit what is this another block in that in that fuller vision? Is it just another component that in combination with something like Docker gets us the full thing? Or is it just some other piece of this puzzle? So I think what we're setting out to do is something fundamental. You know, it's a fundamental next step for this whole um, ecosystem. And then separately, the way we're going about it is we're proposing a specific solution to a specific problem. And that's, you know, that's not we can't boil the ocean on day one, right? You have to get in there and solve a problem for someone and they don't care that you want to revolutionize everything. They don't care. They just want their problem solved. So that's, you know, there is, what's our big picture goal? You know, what's the maximum impact we want to have? And then there's, how do we get there? What's step one of taking that solution to market, right? So just to focus on the big thing, I mean, the breakthrough that Docker brought was drawing a line and allowing us to separate concerns between what's inside that box and what's outside it, right? And so now you can, it allows, let's call it the world of infrastructure to worry about what's around that box, right? How do I store it? How do I transfer it? How do I run it? How do I scale it? And, you know, registries, 
deployment services, Kubernetes are, you know, the result of that. But, you know, it's containers are really about separating what's inside the box, you know, your application stuff. And then you put in the standardized thing, the container, and then all of a sudden you can interact with this whole world of infrastructure services and tools that can take your box and do something useful with it, scale it, transfer it, et cetera, without having to care about what's inside or how it got there. Yeah. And we did introduce some tools to help you get your application into the container. You know, Docker build and the Docker file were part of that. But I think what happens is that at some point, the ecosystem, the containers started becoming identified mostly with the infrastructure piece, the part outside mm. the box. And so when you talk about containers today, when you go to KubeCon, we were just at KubeCon. It was great. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. But it, it was mostly about what happens outside the box, right? So it's mostly about the data center and scaling these huge deployments of containers and securing them and all that networking, storage, you know, orchestration, and all of which are very important. But they're half of the picture. And the whole point of containers was to allow both sides of the picture to thrive. And I think what Docker brought was an unusual focus on the other side, what goes inside the container and how did it get there? And that's the part that developers care more about, right? And if you look at things like Docker build and to some extent Docker compose, those are the parts of the Docker stack of the container universe that developers still today are most excited about, but you're not seeing the same level of innovation and standardization that happened on the other side. And, you know, there's, there are legacy reasons, which I won't get into because you're familiar with them. You know, basically Docker screwed up. We screwed it up and then we didn't keep going, you know, and the ecosystem that we left behind just doesn't care about that or they don't know how. So what we're focusing on with Dagger is continuing that part. Okay, great. Once you have a container, you can do all sorts of great things with that. We're not going to go and compete there, but are you happy with Everything that happens up to having the container, you know, are you happy with the factory that produces the stuff that goes in the container? Hell no. <laughs> you know, it's terrible. It's shell scripts and YAML and a whole lot of glue. And, and the problem is we've just sort of kicked the can down the road. We've said, okay, well, good enough. You know, this isn't like a streamlined, super efficient factory. It's a workshop, you know, but that's okay. We got, we'll just ship another feature. But we're reaching a point where software as an industry can no longer function that way because software is serious now. There's a lot of scale and the stakes are higher, you know, security, reliability, speed, all of that stuff. So basically a lot of people are trying, but I don't know, you tell me, you think it's great? You think it's successful? I don't think so, you know? So that's yeah. what we're trying to do. I think, I think it's a lot better than it, it was a while ago, a long time ago. And there was these kind of, there were, you know, and I speak on behalf of myself and Brett probably had some aha moments with Docker, but I had an aha moment when I saw you demonstrate Docker in 2013 and you were able to deploy those workloads very quickly, right? You were just building, you, yeah. know, you were running these containers very quickly. And that was a, an aha moment for someone like myself who's on the infrastructure side, as you said, right? But that is like, an epiphany. What is that aha moment you're trying to convey with Dagger and around this 
other side of the conversation, the pre-container, the inner loop software delivery lifecycle component? Well, what happens today is that someone on the team becomes the designated DevOps person, right? They're the person as this, the project starts to grow and the, the, the team starts to grow, who's in charge of the builds and the CI pipelines and the, the tooling around that. Build, test, deploy, and all of that mess. And usually they inherit some very basic scripts, very basic deployment pipeline. You know, might be using yeah. Heroku or something equivalent. You know, it just, it works. And it was fine. But now it, something happens where, okay, the, the build is too slow or there's a new component. There's an AI feature. Or now there's a front-end team and a back-end team and they have different tools. So we got to integrate all that into one pipeline. So as the application grows, the pipelines grow. And as the pipelines grow, the work of keeping them running becomes more complicated. And the problem is it's the, that complexity scales exponentially. So as the team size grows linearly, the workload and the headaches for that designated DevOps person grows exponentially. And... That manifests itself in a bunch of ways, but usually one, one way it manifests itself that we talk about a lot is what we call push and pray. You know, <laughs> all right, you got to do some work on the CI pipeline. Okay. Yeah. Let's go. All right. Get up actions. Here we go. You know, YAML, 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 shell scripts. All right. Put this here. Go there. Okay. That should work. All right. Let's go. Get ads. Get commits. Dash M. Please work. Get push. Yeah. Wait, 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 wait. Ah, it's red. Oh, I forgot a space, you know. Okay, start again. So you basically back to, if you think of this as a tool that you're configuring, sure. But if you think about it as software, this pipeline is getting pretty complicated. Maybe the pipeline that ships my app is a sort of an app. Okay, what's the experience of developing that app? It's pretty terrible. You know, it's basically back to the punch card days. Okay, I think I got it right. All right, let me go. Oh, okay, eight o'clock. Let me go to the, the desk. Here are my punch cards, sir. You know, give me a call when you have the results. Oh no, I forgot the hole. All right, I'll start again tomorrow. So, you know, we're kind of back to that a little bit. And meanwhile, right next to, you know, the the next desk over, devs are just like, they have all this productivity, right? They're just like, they have this inner loop that's just instant. They have autocomplete and they run tests and they're just happy. So really what we're doing is saying this push and pray thing is just unnecessary pain. Like this pain can be solved. Like there's no reason to inflict this upon yourself. And it's only going to get worse as you grow. So, you know, the earlier you deal with it, the better. And so then yeah. that's when Dagger comes in. And, and the way it comes in is it just, you know, you describe the same pipeline and codes targeting the Dagger APIs and Dagger runs locally and in CI. So now you try something in the pipeline and then you run it locally and then you actually you have an actual proper development software loop. And so really it's to answer your question from a few minutes ago, it starts with solving very short-term specific pain for that one DevOps person. Yeah. We've, we've had an explosion, obviously, at least for all of the three of us in the last five, seven years of CI tools, or I'm, I just, I've actually just decided it's all automation. I'm just going to call it automation tools. And we've, you know, as a, DevOps consultant, I never, I've never been to two different companies or two even different teams in the same company and seen the same workflows for build, test, and deploy, right? Like it's that messy, nebulous area of a thousand different choices. 
And, and, and in some teams, they take advantage of really leading edge tools. They maybe do GitHub Actions. And that's, of course, my favorite thing right now. And then, because I won't shut up about SAO course, because it's like people have had to listen to me for 100 weeks talk about it. But then they also have a challenge of, right, locals, obviously a challenge. I, I definitely want to get into that. A lot of companies I work in, they don't, they have multiple CIs, right? Like that's a big yeah. problem. They have Jenkins over here, Circle CI over there. This team is dabbling with GitHub Actions. And yeah. they're, as the DevOps person, there's no way to centralize all that without sort of enforcing them all to give up their thing. And so you end up sometimes even with these teams where they have to use the lowest common denominator, which right. is back to bash scripts, which is yep. what we had 20 years ago, like we 30 years ago. We So now we're like saying the only thing we're really doing is outsourcing the compute and everything else is still bash and we're still just yeah. as fragile. Um, yeah. It's a hot mess, honestly, which is why yeah. I teach it, because it's a hard problem to solve and we're all looking mm -hmm. for something that's a little more comprehensive, yeah. a little more than what we already have. Right. And I think the reason it has been solved, it has not been solved, isn't because we're dumb. I mean, there's, there's so many smart people experiencing this pain every day. And it's not the, it's not the, the skills or the tech to do it. I think the reason it has been solved is because you can't solve it with one more patch. But 99% mm. of the time, even if collectively what we need is to re-engineer the thing and, and sort of build a cleaner foundation, Individually, each team, each startup, each department just doesn't have the ability to do it on their own. It's just that there's no incentive for them to go and like, who's going to take a one year detour to reinvent the foundation of DevOps in order to ship your app that's late in the first place? You know, like you're going to get fired, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So you need someone whose only task is that. And, and so that's basically back to your question about, you know, big bets. You know, we decided to be that team because we got the time, we got the experience, we have the capital to, to have a long enough runway to go out there and design something that's just new enough that it actually solves the problem and just familiar enough that people will actually use it. They don't have to throw everything away. It's a really hard problem because yeah, it's not just pure engineering or design. It's also, you know, adoption growth. You only solve the problem if you get a lot of people to use it. And, you know, we have some experience doing that with Docker. So that's kind of our formula. You take a hard engineering and design problem that if you crack it, it, it can really make, you know, create a new standard and solve a hard problem for a lot of people. And you, you do that in a way that's integrated from the start with a growth mindset. Okay, how do I design it so that it solves the problem and we can get a lot of people to adopt it? so that it doesn't solve the problem in a vacuum. So right. that's basically what we're doing. But I'll take your example of, I mean, the reward, if we're successful, is that we get all the benefits of the pipeline being real software running on a real platform instead of shell scripts running on YAML, et cetera. And the, you know, there are several benefits. One of them, and that's the benefit we're using now to get in, to get you started, is it runs locally. Like, why would it not? Like, what software platform only runs on their black box remote server? Actually, don't answer yeah. that. It does exist, but you know, it's, it's a bad idea. It's a bad idea. All, all those um, combinations exist. Yeah. But there are other benefits. For example, now, oh, now you can test it. Another benefit is you can get the development teams involved because assuming it supports their favorite programming language, which now it does, there's a whole side quest on us figuring that out. But anyway. Now developers can participate in 
developing their own pipelines. You know, they're the ideal build for them, the ideal test workflow for them. And most importantly, code can be modularized. You can split it up into components, you know, functions with arguments and return values, you know, in other words, inputs and outputs. You have a way to encapsulate your thing, make it a black box for someone else. So in other words, all this DevOps knowledge that's kind of spread around the industry, you know, how to build this Java app exactly the way you need it, you know, how to fine tune this AI model just the way you need it. I mean, it, there's all sorts of how to lint markdown the way I want it, whatever. Yeah. You can write the logic to do that in the language of your choice and you just, you get it perfectly right and then you encapsulate it into a module and then the rest of the ecosystem can use it and build on top of it. And so and that's a fundamental shift because once you have that, you can actually collectively solve the problem, you know, instead of everyone reinventing the wheel all the time, again and again, that's how you solve it. So anyway, we're, we're trying to create the foundation for that to happen. Yeah. And I remember, so when you started the sort of the language of Dagger was Q, right? Like, and that was your, one of your, was it the 60, the 58th iteration, 61st iteration? <laughs> it was a um, bunch of iterations. Yeah. And, yeah. but you've pivoted there. And so today my understanding is I'm writing CI in the language of my app. Is that the idea here? Interesting. I mean, yeah, so that's the most typical. You're writing pipelines, you know, build tests, deploy, whatever, in whatever language you prefer. And most of the time, it's the same language as the application. Yeah. So, yeah, because I, I can see there's all we've all like experienced different team models where there's a DevOps team and they prefer Go or whatever. They're in Python and then there's a polyglot application set of teams. And there are these people over here in Ruby and this team is in Python and this team over here is in Rust. And you've got you, you don't really have a consensus yeah. on what we should be choosing. And is modules the idea around how to solve that or how, how to overcome that challenge right. of the right language or the best language? Yeah, so that's the last piece that we're developing now. It's We have this experimental feature. It's called Project Zenith. If you come hang out on our Discord, which I encourage you to do, by the way. And then really, it's a future release of Dagger with this feature that we call modules. And it's the last piece of what you're talking about. And we kind of started building it gradually. The first step was to have an engine with an API that could basically be the operating system for everything you might need to do in, in a CI pipeline, build, test, et cetera. And if you don't have that foundation, then it doesn't matter what you write in your favorite language. It's going to be just like another variation of a shell script. You can run a Python script today and run it and make that your CI script. People do it. But the problem is it's a Python script running on some variation of Linux, basically. So that the platform you have available, the APIs you have available are, you know, the 40 year old APIs, file system, environment variables, you know. So first we had to replace those APIs with something more powerful. And we did that with containers. So that's the starting point. Dagger is basically like a little operating system with all the primitives you need to orchestrate containers. And it's using BuildKit, right? So it's really the same tech as Docker build. So it's not containers as in Docker run. It's the other evolutionary branch. It's containers as in Docker build and build kit, which means you have something much more powerful available. You can construct a DAG of these containerized operations. 
and you're mapping out the inputs and outputs. So you're basically creating a graph and then you're telling engine, the dagger engine, run this thing. And it's going to run it all in parallel and figure it out. Kind of like make does. That was the big innovation of make files. Yeah. You know, you just, you declare, it's declarative. You declare what your graph is and then make figures it out. So that was, that's what dagger is, except with a modern API and containers. And then you mentioned Q. Then our next problem was, okay, how do we expose this developers? How do you, what's the front end to this engine? And since it's declarative and it's a, it's a graph programming model, it's different. That was a big challenge. That was like a good 30 of those 62 prototypes. How the hell do we expose <laughs> this? You know, And we, yeah. we started out with HCL. We had a whole bunch of HCL-based mm-hmm. uh, products. Which, which folks are familiar with, with respect to like Terraform and, and infrastructure as code. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, so exactly. It's very popular now, but it's, anyway, it's got, it's not a real programming language is the, the bottom line. So, but our starting point was, this is fundamentally, you need a declarative, a, a way to declare what your graph is. So if you take your in Python or Go or JavaScript or TypeScript, that's an imperative language. It's basically telling the computer, do this, then do this. And if this happens, then do this or this. But it's all about one computer running one thing at a time, basically, you know, not exactly, but kind of. So it does not map well to a DAG. That was our problem. So we, we decided, we didn't know how to make it work. So we went to specialized languages. First, HCL, where you can declare, it's declarative. This is my graph of things. And then we switched to this new hot language, you know, called Q, C-U-E, which is basically like a better HCL. That's kind of the way to think about it. A better HCL, which itself is a better YAML. You know, these are all configuration languages. And that's what we launched with. And it was very powerful. Just one problem. Nobody wanted to learn the damn language. And that's when we realized, you know, okay, that's, you know, remember, you know, we have to go back and forth between engineering and design and then adoption. And you have to no way to integrate both. It's really hard. And we got the design down, but then we realized, oh no, people don't want to learn YAML, but they also don't want to learn a better YAML. They don't want to learn a new language. They just want to write you know, language they know. We didn't know how to make it work. But, you know, through these iterations, we actually f- figured out a way. So we, and the breakthrough is that we found this, well, remembered the, that this, there's, there is a declarative language that can describe a graph and it can also be easily integrated into a regular imperative language and that language is called graphql so so our model is basically instead of manually writing q configuration files describing your graph you write a client in any language you want we have a bunch of sdks and then that client sends GraphQL queries to the Dagger API. Those GraphQL queries are declarative, but they're driven by an imperative language. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then that turns out to work beautifully. And there's actually a more familiar comparison because GraphQL is well-known, but it's not like everybody uses it. SQL is the same thing. SQL is a declarative data querying language. And it's the most common thing in the world that you write, or let's say a Ruby on Rails app, imperative language, and that Ruby and Rails app will send SQL queries dynamically. So the key is, it's there's a dynamic layer now that the, you're describing the pipelines dynamically, and that's the Dagger we know today. Anyway, long answer. So within Dagger, jo- yeah, yeah, with that kind of dynamism with respect to the SDKs and 
So from the developer point of view, I can start defining my pipeline, refining it, making it what I need for my workload, my application in the programming language that I'm used to. Let Dagger figure out how to execute what I'm declaring I need to get done to deliver my piece of software. And those individual components, whether it's, let's say, doing a static asset analysis or maybe adding a a git hash to some metadata somewhere or configuring what resources I need for my application deployment and some other system, Kubernetes down the line, I can modularize those. And then if Brett and I working in the same company, but on different teams, Brett can take that static analysis module. Does he have to change? Does he have to know the programming language that I wrote that module in? Or so can you just take it? So that's the, that's the last missing feature. At the moment, yes. So at the moment, each team can use their favorite language to write a little bit of code to, to drive the Dagger engine to do exactly what they want. But, and they each do it in their favorite language, but then they cannot uh, reuse each other's code. Unless, you know, there's some, or if they have to use existing technology to do that, which is a mess. And even if they do that, they're going to do it their own way. Like, oh, I'm going to, let me make this an HTTP REST API, and then you can call it. And then you have this whole framework, but it's yours. You know, you can't, in another company, they're not using that. So we have to provide that system for cross-language reusable modules. And that's uh, Project Zenith, the feature I was talking about. It's almost ready, you know, where it's launching, I don't know, in a couple months. But because we develop everything in the open on this Discord community and the open source repo, actually a, a pretty sizable chunk of our community, you know, our power users actually started using it and are already developing modules. And it's kind of getting running, getting away from us a little bit, which brings back fun memories because that's kind of how Docker, you know, blew up. People were like, I'm not waiting for you to launch this thing. I'm using it now. So we're trying to, you know, it's fun. It's fun. But there are modules coming out that you can use that you're just using, you know, an unfinished experimental feature, but it does exactly what you described. Python team writes their own dagger module in Python and it's got all the building blocks. Go team writes their module in Go and then everyone uses each other's modules. So what's interesting is on the infrastructure side, you know, you have something like Terraform where you're using HCL and the, and the Terraform YAML files and whatnot to describe your environment. But another path that's becoming popular is also things like CDK or mm-hmm. Pulumi, where you're using an SDK to define the infrastructure, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that married with Dagger means that you have kind of a you can potentially use like Go code to yeah. describe both sides, right? You have yeah, totally. your those, pipeline, you yeah. have your Docker containers, and then you have the Kubernetes cluster that that's running on configured. Yeah, yeah. And those two integrate really well. It's very common to integrate Pulumi and Dagger or integrate Terraform and Dagger. You know, it, it doesn't have to be code on both sides. So right. if you're using Terraform, it you can easily integrate a Terraform um, workflow, in, you know, in a Dagger pipeline, because really what that function will look like, that Dagger function, you know, it will set up a container with Terraform installed, and then it will execute the Terraform tool in that container with your, con- you know, that your config files mounted in the 
environment variables set up, you know, whatever you need to orchestrate for Terraform to run you, the way you need. What you get is that that's wrapped in a function with actual inputs and actual outputs with types, you know. And so, for example, in this case, maybe you want your function, your Terraform function to receive a directory as input, as arguments, you know, maybe that's the states directory or the, con the config directory. So you just write a function in Go and you say, this is my config and it's of type directory. So we give you those types and that's a big part of it because you're running this, it's regular Go, regular Python, but it's not running on a regular operating system, you know? So if you write a regular Go program and you want to access a directory, what do you do? You have to go and call the same 40 year old APIs, right? So you're going to access the local file system or you're going to say, let me use S3. That's more modern. But now you have a dependency in S3. You're making these HTTP calls. That will just take care of that for you. You'll just say, there's a fundamental type in the operating system called container. It's going to be cached and it's going to be dynamically uh, produced for you. You can just take a directory as input and you can return another directory. So you mentioned like scanning or I forget what use case you, you mentioned, but yeah, at on, Kyle, you know, Docker Slim, you know, Slim, the Slim toolkit. So Kyle, the creator of uh, Slim, came by our booth at KubeCon. And he was just giving a demo that I missed to, to be with you guys. But we had our Dagger community call at the same time. Right before this, yeah. I guess, it, I guess it's finished now. And Kyle was just showing that, that, that demo. So Kyle came by and I, I was telling him, hey, you should make, this would be a perfect module. And then we just kind of went and sat at a table next to the booth and we just did it together. And it was really fun. And I can actually show you, but basically it's a, Slim is a Go function that takes a container as arguments and returns a container as a return value. <laughs> and that's it. You know, as so you look at it, you're like, oh, yeah, that right. makes sense. Takes it, and Slim, for those who don't know, it, you know, it's a tool that will take a container and then it will execute it while tracing which files it accesses inside the container. And then it builds a list of what's needed and what's not. And then it creates another container with only what you need. And so it'll take, you know, a container with 5,000 files and it'll produce a new container with 500 files, for example. So now there's now a Go function and I think it's like 30 lines, 50, 30 lines, mm. 30 yeah. lines of code. Let's I want to do some rapid fire questions. Ashke asks, is Dagger a framework or a library? Well, well, Dagger is a complete platform, but it can be used as a library. So you can use, if, if you want to write, if you want to program Dagger in Go, there is a Go library you can import in your tool and it will embed whatever needs to be embedded. You import it and you make calls from your program and it's just going to work. So in that way, it can be a library if you need it to, or it can be much more than that. It can be, <laughs> yeah, a, com a complete application delivery platform that just happens to run locally or in your CI runner. Right. Um, next quick question and great and good job on the quick answer. Are you using, I think you answered this already. Are you using BuildKit as a Dagger engine or did you reinvent Dagger engine from scratch? Oh yeah, we use BuildKit. We do wrap BuildKit heavily. And so you have to use our build of BuildKit and you know it's embedded in the Dagger engine. But yeah, it is 100% BuildKit, not forked, but it is wrapped. So we add functionality on top for things like networking. Uh, yeah, things like that. Yeah. All right, and last one for now. Do you think, this is a prediction, do you think Dagger will be slower or faster adopted compared with Docker years ago? <sighs> well, it depends how you count. I guess we'll see. We'll find out. I think something like Dagger fundamentally 
there's more friction to adopt because you need to write code for it and you need to learn APIs. So it's very different in terms of its adoption. It is a platform, so you need to write code for it. Docker was a tool. It's, so it was way easier to just drop in Docker, you know, maybe write a little Docker file, and boom, you're gone. The flip side is it limits what Docker can do for you because mm. at some point you need a platform to really get in there. And we didn't have that relationship with source code, you know. And that's and why Docker, Red Hat, for, yeah. you know, Red Hat, for example, built on Docker and then they brought a complete platform. You can criticize what that platform can and cannot do, but it was a complete platform. And when you were building your application on RHEL or with OpenShift or whatever, the container, that was a complete end-to-end application delivery platform. The wrong one, you know, and it will fail, but it, it, they did have that relationship to developer ecosystem and the community so they could do things that Docker couldn't. You yeah. know, and, and Dagger will do all those things better. Yeah. Awesome. All right, little demo. Hey, listeners, in this edited version of the show, we skipped the demo. So if you want to check that out, then check for the live stream replay link in the show notes. Now back to the show. <laughs> I was just going to mention, like, one of the things when I first learned about this was th- this felt ad- additive to my current CI and... I want to talk about that real quick. If I'm on a CI today, I can use Dagger today, right? Like, this, and I, so I wanted to like, I'm trying to think about how to wrap up some of the things we didn't dive into because we could spend yeah. three hours on this and I'd love to, we're going to have another show about it, but I'm like, I'm a GitHub actions person. I walk into a team there. They've got Jenkins over here there. I'm wanting them to use GitHub actions because of the marketplace. And there's 20,000, you know, actions in the marketplace now. And, and then they might have circled CI or drone because, you know, yeah. product ops teams seem to like a drone. It's open source. They don't have to pay anybody for it. It's, they can control it themselves in the production. Do you see this world where like Dagger is in all these different places and then you're using the cloud, the Dagger cloud to observe? Because that's a big challenge right now, right? Observability of what's going on in CI, mm-hmm. even in just GitHub Actions itself. You can't watch an entire org of what's yeah. running in all the different repos. So, I mean, the short answer is yes, we think we can solve that. We're carefully avoiding the business of hosting your pipelines. So we don't mm. sell compute to run your pipelines because there's a million ways to do that. And we want to make sure Dagger works great with all of them from the laptop to the hosted dev environments to the hosted GitHub runner to, you know, bring your own runner on Amazon EKS or whatever. We use yep. EKS, for example, for our own CI with that, of course, with Dagger on top. And then it's connected to GitHub Actions. So any configure, any permutation of CI platform, dev platform, and compute, you want Dagger to just drop right in and it works. But then you need, a, you need two things. You need caching. You, you need persistent yep. storage for caching. And then you need, you need observability. You want to see what the hell's going on. When it mm-hmm. failed, you want to know why. And you also, as a platform team, you want to have insight to do everything that's happening, the whole supply chain. That's the whole point, right? And so actually, I think we have a shot at solving that because the step one is you need something that can actually be ubiquitous. I'll give you one example. Yeah. Well, you mentioned, oh, sometimes there are two CIs. Well, there you go. Right off the bat, one CI platform cannot give you full observability. But let's say you fix that, you, you avoid that pitfall. What about pre-push? There are a lot of pipelines that are being run before code is ever committed mm-hmm. or pushed. You know? mm-hmm. And if you don't embrace that, what's going to happen is you're going to get shadow CI. You have a whole universe of pipelines. You may not consider that to be real CI, 
but your devs do, and they're using it all day long. And there's a lot of problems you could catch earlier if only you could look at it. But to look at it, you need a common platform. So now what we're doing with Dagger Cloud is if you're running integration tests or whatever, you're running any pipeline dynamically, like I showed, while you're developing on the laptop or later in CI, all the telemetry is going in one place. And so the platform team just looks at all of it and you can start getting insights like, oh, looks like someone's not using the new base image that we talked about. And so they're getting a lot of cache misses and they're going to fail you know, the compliance test when they push in a week. So let me just like nip that in the butt, you know? So mm-hmm. it just completely changes what you can do, you know? So, so I think it's at some point this switch to making it code running on a modern platform with compo- composable modules that developers are actually involved in, in, in developing now, which frees up a lot of time for the platform team. You know, a, a lot of things fall into place and then it, you're no longer talking about an incremental improvement to the current mess. You're talking about, I think, a, a major leap, a qualitative leap in how your whole sub- software supply chain works. You know, it just completely changes what's possible, I think. And so we're, right. we're, I'm really excited for all the pieces to finally, you know, fall into place because then the fun part begins, you know, where people show up at community calls and instead of saying, I use Dagger to do the same thing as before twice as fast, which always feels good. But now we're going to start seeing people saying, I use Dagger and now we're doing this thing that there's just no way we would have done otherwise. You know, it's just yeah, not yeah. possible. So that's what I'm excited about. Yeah, and I'm already seeing like the with the conversations we've had today and the conversations at KubeCon and we were all there was a lot of energy around your booth by the way like we there was like we, we, we took a yeah. lot of selfies there there was a lot of conversations yeah. a lot of our friends yeah. work with you now so yeah it it felt it it's feeling like there's a lot of win in the uh, the idea of we don't have to replace this CI with this other CI in order to gain these advantages and yeah. I I also see teams where as you grow as a company, and especially if you start dealing with government or big enterprise contracts or financials or in any sort of, if you're a service company, you end up sometimes being forced to use a CI because of other criteria that's not a function, you know, it's a security requirement or it's a, you know, we have a, a government contract that requires us to be in this type of thing. We have to use mm-hmm. Azure DevOps instead of our favorite thing over here in Travis CI or whatever the thing is, right? And there is no perfect CI. Like every single one of the CI SaaS platforms, there's a cost benefit analysis and functionality mm-hmm. features, and they all have their nice little things that I like. But I've over the years sort of, they all I know all their limitations and I have to teach those limitations, you know, that get back yeah. isn't great locally. Yeah. Drone has no marketplace. So there's no, you know, which is one of my favorite things of CIs. You yeah. mentioned, by the way, I don't know if we mentioned it today, but you mentioned that I have a lot of stuff in GitHub Actions already and that mm-hmm. I can still use all of that stuff I did in Dagger. So there's this really cool project called Project Gale. And this is, you know, this started, you know, in the Dagger community. Ali, who's the, the, the creator of Gale, basically, yeah, ported the GitHub Actions API, you know, the YAML mm-hmm. format and the, 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 the whole thing. It's kind of a mess. He ported it to Dagger. So it runs in containers. And, you know, I'm not going to say it's 100% perfect compatibility or anything like that, but it does give you, and, and now he made it a module. And so, that means the, the same workflow I used just before, you can say, okay, I want to, that action over there works fine. I just want to use it. I don't have time to re-implement everything. Usually that's what happens. 10% of your CI is just a pain in the ass. The platform just doesn't work. 
YAML just reaches its limits. So you re, you just rewrite it. You rewrite the YAML and shell scripts into you know your favorite like a dagger function, and then you're super happy. It just solves the pain. And then the other ninety percent, you know, you'll get around to it later because there's no rush. And so <laughs> having this compatibility means okay, you can get around to it later, but still lift and shift the whole thing into the dagger which has a lot of advantages, like you can standardize the tooling and the workflow and the telemetry and all that. So it depends on the situation. But then, yeah, you can just say in code, you, in Go, you can say you import the module and say, run this action over there, you know, with these inputs. And then on top of that, Ali and my co-founder Andrea at a hackathon wrote this little tool that is really nice that you just, you, you, you point it at your a GitHub action in the marketplace and it will generates a dagger module that under the hood uses this thing that I just talked about, you know? Yeah. But it adds the convenience that the, it's going to be a function with the actual arguments that have the actual types scraped from that YAML. So if right. you have a GitHub action that says, I have an input and it's, you know, a string and whatever, then you're going to have the, it's going to be translated into a function that takes a, a string as argument with the same name. And then you get, so you lend you load that into your dagger project. And then all of a sudden the IDE autocompletes, you can unit test it. And all that good stuff. So that that's kind of I'm not going to say it works perfectly, but the thing is, right. the reason it's not so you need a whole ecosystem expanding into a million little niche right. use cases and, and to solve this thing. You know, whoever has the most complete, fastest growing ecosystem and developer community is is going to win this thing. And by win, I mean solve it, solve application delivery. And so that's what we're focusing on. You know, yeah. Yeah, I definitely feel like for me, I think my light bulb moment with GitHub Actions was the fact that their marketplace is so vast yeah. and it's tough to beat that, right? It's tough to beat yeah. the 800 pound gorilla in the room of GitHub. I think uh, it's, yeah, I think it's, it, it's very tough to beat that in the box that is the traditional CI model, right? It's very tough for Circle CI or BuildKite or, you know, whoever else. I don't want to single out anyone, but, and, yeah. or Jenkins to beat that, you know, but, I think for a pure software platform, where it's actually code and you get an actual developer community. I mean, look at, go talk to JavaScript developers and tell them how many GitHub actions there are in the marketplace and see how impressed they are. They're like, what? Yeah. How many modules are in NPM? Our packages are in Go, right. you know? That's right. the kind of scale hmm. we should be aiming for, you know? So that's kind of, you know, we want to create a foundation for GitHub actions to be like the absolute minimum, you know? Like that, this is like, okay, you better have at least as many modules in your ecosystem that GitHub Actions has, because that's not a big ecosystem. You know, De right. DevOps, it's just that DevOps doesn't have big software ecosystems because we don't have real software. But, you know, in, that's the goal. Create a DevOps ecosystem that's as large and, and vibrant as, you know, an actual software ecosystem. Mm -hmm. So that's the goal. It's the only way you beat, you know, the 800 pound gorilla. Yeah. And, and they don't yeah. even care. It's not even their core business. You know, they're like, well, they just checked the box because people were asking for it. You want CI, here it is, you know, and they did a good job at it. But yeah. like, they don't even care. All right. I have my last question. And then I know Nomar probably has something. For people getting started, My one of my questions was, do you see people that are new to the, well, anywhere really in the software spectrum, particularly of a developer or someone who's trying to get into DevOps, they're learning Docker, they're learning Kubernetes, they're learning a cloud, and they're maybe or maybe not writing software full-time. Right. 
what's the right entry point for them on Dagger? Do they need to like experience the problems of other CIs before they start using Dagger? Like, do you have um, a good story around that? I think there's two. It's there are two layers, you know. And over time, we're making the platform more and more accessible. And so our starting point was really a hardcore of experienced platform engineers who have seen the problem. They're experiencing the problem at a certain scale, and it's worth it for them to basically develop a custom tool in Go or Python to replace their YAML insanity. You know, mm -hmm. and so that's typically a platform engineering team at a Series B startup or above. That's the core. You know, so those are the people who they started using Dagger mm -hmm. a year ago, six months ago, and now some of them are you know scaling on a Dagger cloud. They're customers, and so so that's our core audience today. Then there's a then there's a second layer that's building up of our community around these modules and this project Zenith, where it with that feature, it's much more accessible and fun to start using Dagger and scripting it. First, you can actually use Dagger with this feature from the command line, because you can point with the Dagger CLI, you can run any function from any module from the command line. So you don't have to write codes to start and then, but that as you start using it. Eventually, you say, "Hey, I want to write a module. You know, that seems fun, and it is actually pretty easy. It'll, you know, it's rough, it, rough edges, but it'll get easier." And so, I think that is a great fit for anyone who is just interested in DevOps and wants to level up and wants to be ahead of the curve and just sort of be part of be where the action is. You know, and you know, I think Dagger will succeed. But even if somehow we just fail, this model will succeed. Someone's going to do this. It, it has to be code. It has to be these reusable modules. So this is where the future of DevOps is heading anyway. And so mm -hmm. I would say, yeah, it's a great time for someone who's new, wants to get into DevOps, or maybe someone who's been in DevOps, but has been not really confident in the coding part. That's very common, you know, yeah. the admin to DevOps yep. journey. Bash scripts, YAML, sure. But SDKs, code, well, I'm not sure. I think with Zenith, we're getting to a point where that could be a really nice entry point. You know, you, you can do it on your own terms. Unlike these CDKs and the, the, that's more hardcore, you know, that's like right. you're diving in the, you're diving in and you might, you might drown, you know, it's pretty intense. We aim to make it much more, you know, accessible. So the two different yeah. audiences, you know, but Docker was the same way. Early on, it was very low level, very, lots of rough edges. It was not for everyone. It was for experienced platform engineers who knew containers already. And then over time, through a lot of hard work, because it's hard to make things easy, we just made it, we expanded the circle, you know. But yeah, we, we eventually we want every application developer day one to say, well, I got my little dagger factory here, you know, super easy. And then you just customize it a little bit as you need to. But it just, it started with dropping in the CLI and writing a few lines of something and like Docker, but we're not there yet. So if you don't want to, if you just want to ship your code and you don't want to worry about anything DevOps, you don't want to know, then ignore Dagger, you know, <laughs> maybe tell your DevOps team about Dagger, but don't worry about it. Right. We're not ready for right. you. All right. Is there a Java SDK in, yes. in the pipeline? Yeah, there is actually, yeah. there is an experimental Java SDK today that works and it, it has not yet been ported to this modules feature. But it's, it is actually the next SDK we want to get to stable after the big three that we have so far, you know, Go, Python, TypeScript. There's a bunch of experimental ones. Now that Dagger is becoming more 
robust and it's been used in production. Unsurprisingly, a lot of Java teams are saying, hey, any chance, you know, we could have a Java SDK. So yes, it is experimental and it will be stable as soon as possible. But yeah, you can use it already. You, you can go to the docs and you'll find it. And there's a Discord channel, you know, Dagger and Java. And the, the Dagger and Java people are there. They will help you. Nice. Well, we covered a lot of ground, but yeah. we could probably do another like three hours on all the features and functionality, especially after Zenith comes out and becomes mm -hmm. more mature. So maybe have you back on next year. I would love that. Also, uh, I got Brett to... Uh, I think I almost convinced Brett to come and uh, try and uh, an experiment with me where we live code a module together and um, see what happens. So, Nermal, you're also, if you want to try that with me. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm a live streaming noob, so I, I, I just want to, I want to try and see what happens. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So let's do it. Let's do it for sure. <laughs> that sounds awesome. I also am interested in like taking an existing project of mine that I actually use for teaching, like Ooh. a software project that's on GitHub Actions and see what it's like to daggerize it. If that's even, a, oh. can we call that daggerizing is, now? Of oh yeah, it is. A, daggerizing is a verb. It is a thing. So yeah, let's do that. Let's daggerize your tool. And dagger knots. Dagger knots are the people. Dagger knots. Yeah. Dagger knots are the people using dagger to make the DevOps world better. We don't have a word for captains yet, the equivalent of captains, but <laughs> we do have a plan for that. Just FYI. So yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to try to figure that out right this second. I'm sitting here in my brain going, yeah, I, I can mash all these words together and make something funny. Well, Solomon, it's been great to have you on the show. I mean, Nermal and I, honestly, we really could spend another hour yes. diving into all the nuances. Getting started is a thing I want to, I'd love to dive more into. Yeah. How does someone, you know, what's their first DAG look like? You know, what does their first repo yeah. look like? And yeah, yeah it's going to be great. Of course, you can find Solomon on LinkedIn, X, GitHub, all the places. Well, thanks again. Yes. We'll see you next Thanks time. Thanks so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. Bye, Solomon. Bye, everybody. Thanks for coming. Good. Bye. Thanks for listening. I'll see you in the next one.